Coming up in this episode, we've got reviews, plus some of the books that we're looking forward to in the month of July. Welcome to episode 320 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. I'm Jeff Adams, and with me, as always, is my co-host and husband, Will Knaus. Hello, Rainbow Romance readers. As always, the podcast is brought to you in part by our remarkable community on Patreon. If you'd like more information about the bonus content we offer our patrons, go to patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. Welcome to the second half of 2021. The day this episode drops is July 1st. Hard to believe that half of 2021 is already behind us. And for this episode, we're actually going to be looking a little bit back at some of the things that we've watched and read during Pride Month. And we're also going to look forward to some really good books that are coming up in July. Let's kick it off with what we watched. Yeah, we briefly just wanted to talk about some of the content that we've enjoyed and hopefully you'll be interested in exploring as well. Jeff and I enjoy explorations of nerd culture, and we happen to grow up in the golden age of kick-ass amazing toys Mm -hmm. the late 70s and early 80s and two shows that explore that are a toy store near you and another show we recently binged action figure adventure now both of these series are brought to us from the people that created the toys that made us the really amazing series on netflix that goes behind the scenes of what it takes to create some of the world's most memorable and enjoyable toys We've just started watching the third series of A Toy Store Near You, and this show takes a look at some of the vintage toy stores located across the U.S., and it primarily explores how each of these owners are coping with having a brick-and-mortar store in the age of COVID. And while it's always interesting to learn how these entrepreneurs are surviving and even thriving in such difficult times, what's really amazing is we get a deep dive in-depth look at the collections that are featured in each of these stores. It's like toy nerd nirvana and getting a chance to travel to these places that we may never, you know, actually be able to go see is an awful lot of fun. Yeah, I really enjoy Toy Store Near You because not only do each of the owners have to show five toys that are in their collection that they really like. So you always get these like really awesome nuggets. But just looking at what's on the shelves behind them, it's like, ooh, look at that. Look at that. Ooh. Well, what is that? Can you freeze that? What is back there? (laughs) I just love it. (laughs) And in a similar vein is the show Action Figure Adventure. And this is the story of a guy who decides to put together a collectible toy auction. And over several episodes of the show, he drives around Canada visiting various vintage toy stores looking for the key pieces that are going to bring him top dollar in a charity auction. So once again, we get sort of a backseat view as we travel across the country looking at all of these amazing toys and learning from these passionate business owners and collectors. Unfortunately, this show was also impacted by COVID in that the series was going to culminate with a big in-person auction. But unfortunately, they could not do that and had to move it online. But still, it's a really fascinating journey looking at a lot of really amazing toys and raising money for a worthy cause at the same time. So very enjoyable. And he was really going after some big ticket items, which meant looking at some really rare and in some cases, wildly large toys. He drove down to North Carolina to get something and he actually had to bounce one of the camera crew out of the car to get it back home to Canada. So it was it was just a lot of fun to watch. New episodes of A Toy Store Near You and the series Action Figure Adventure are both available on Amazon Prime Video. Something else we also happen to recently enjoy on Amazon Prime are the television specials from the 1970s from Mitzi Gaynor. Now, for those of you who are not, like me, fans of Golden Age Hollywood, you may have no idea who Mitzi is. She's primarily remembered as the star of the movie South Pacific. And in the 1970s, she did a series of television specials one approximately every year, and those specials are now available to watch in their entirety. And boy howdy, they are a really special, really unique trip down memory lane. First of all, Mitzi is amazing, hands down, that can't be argued. She is a genuine triple threat. She sings, she dances, she acts. She's a really genuinely adorable and funny comedian. Each special focuses on a certain theme. And Mitzi is joined by several co-stars in each special. The creme de la creme of what the 1970s has to offer. Before diving into the specials themselves, I recommend you check out the documentary Mitzi Gaynor, Razzle Dazzle, The Special Years. Mitzi herself takes us behind the scenes about her own career. 
where she was personally in the 1970s and how these specials came about. That in and of itself is fascinating. But then getting to watch the specials themselves, filled with glitz and glamour, high production values, silly comedy sketches. Don't forget amazing costumes. Bob Mackie Mm -hmm. costumes everywhere. So much glitz. These specials truly are special. I love them. They're so much fun. Yeah, they're really incredible. I mean, I have a a hazy memory of some variety shows from the 70s, but to sit down and watch a whole bunch of them just back to back, it was really incredible. Like some of the guest star choices, I never had a context for Roy Clark outside of Hee Haw. (laughs) (laughs) And he sings really good. And he acts pretty well. The The episode he was in was pretty amazing. You'll hear a whole bunch of songs, some of which you've never heard before, but also you'll hear songs you know, but in a completely wildly different context or in an entirely different arrangement. It was just really awesome. I have to call out the 100 Guys special, too, in which Mitzi, at the end of the show, kisses like all of these various guest stars who have shown up in their evening wear finery Simply to be kissed by Mitzi, they have no other function on this show other to line up and be kissed. It was really surreally odd. Mitzi Gaynor, Razzle Dazzle, and a decade's worth of television specials are available to watch right now on Amazon Prime. Next, moving on to some comedies that we've recently enjoyed and think you'll like too. Girls 5 Eva is a sitcom on Peacock about a girl group whose most popular song is sampled by a rapper. And when that song takes off... They decide to use their new 15 minutes of fame to launch a comeback. And hilarity ensues. The strange name for the group and the series itself, Girls 5 Ever, is explained in the show's theme song. Because they're going to be famous 5 Ever because 4 Ever is too short. (laughs) It makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. It's so wonderful. It's just this bright, shiny, happy wonderful 30-minute sitcom. It's from Tina Fey. She's one of the executive producers. The cast is outstanding with Sarah Bareilles and Renee Elise Goldsberry from Hamilton and Busy Phillips. These ladies have the best comic timing possible. The show was recently picked up for a season two, and I can't wait to see where they take everything next. It's just, it's a delight. You owe it to yourself to go have Some really good laughs with these women. And you will find Girls 5 Eva on Peacock. Another show that we recently enjoyed that takes us behind the scenes in the business of show is Hacks on HBO Max. This is a story of a young woman, a comedy writer, who essentially gets drummed out of Hollywood. And the only job that she can land is writing new material for an old school stand-up comic who has a long-term residency in Vegas. And the show really focuses on the generational differences between these two women. And how at the beginning they kind of hilariously hate what each of them stands for. But over the course of the series, they understand and respect what each of them have gone through as women in the industry. The generational difference opens up so many opportunities for some great comedy, but also some just great you know, social commentary in general. And the thing that I really like about these two, these two women have this really hard shell, both of them. They'll generate all this conflict between each other because they don't want adapt. Neither one of them do. But when push comes to shove, they're also there for each other in critical moments. I really like the dynamic there. And this is another show that just recently got picked up for season two. And I'm looking forward to seeing more of this show. Gene Smart plays the old school comic who is very loosely based on Joan Rivers. Gene Smart has always been insanely talented, but this show specifically really showcases her in a very special and unique way. I mean, she's obviously got the comedy chops, but really shows what she can do when she's giving dramatic, complex material. She deserves all the Emmys, all the awards. She's Mm -hmm. really amazing. I think what makes Hacks so special is not only the way they explore the relationship between these two women, but the fact that it takes place in Vegas which is essentially a whole nother world. It's like a different planet. The Vegas way of life is unlike any other. And I really love the way the series explores what it means to live in a tourist destination in the middle of the desert. It's just strange and so fascinating. (laughs) I loved everything about Hacks, and I'm super glad that it's coming back for season two. Yes. You can find Hacks on HBO Max. So from comedies to the newest docuseries from creator Ryan Murphy, 
Halston, a show about the famous designer, focuses on his life and career, starting from the time when he was a simple milliner who put the pillbox hat on top of Jackie O's head, to opening his own fashion house and revolutionizing American fashion. And of course, it wouldn't be a Ryan Murphy series if we didn't explore all the behind-the-scenes drama, all the glitz and the glamour and the drugs and the disco. Halston is played by Ewan McGregor. And Halston's bestie, Liza Minnelli, is played by Krista Rodriguez. I really enjoyed the series because I happen to be a fan of the way Ryan Murphy takes facts from the subject's life and then sort of livens it up with lots of color and drama. And there was certainly plenty of drama in Halston's life. But I also really enjoyed how the series focuses on his sort of laser-like clarity of his creative vision and how his ideas helped revolutionize the American fashion industry. But he did those things with a close group of friends and collaborators who were just as big a part of building the Halston empire as Halston was himself. So I really enjoyed the series as a whole, being able to look at what fashion and merchandising was going on in that time, and how a simple guy from middle America became a household name. It was all really well done. I liked it a lot. I also enjoyed the look at that particular era, and I really like how Ryan mixed looking at the creative process that Halston went through, Mm -hmm. and you also get this really good look at how business and creativity don't always meet in the middle well right <laughs> um, there's exactly so, so many things went on there and then of course you've got this super big personality with halston himself you wanted gene smart to get all the awards <laughs> for hacks i would like to see ewan mcgregor get a ton of awards for halston because there's such a range to play there through this person's life that i think ewan just kind of hit all of it and hit it so well now if you're interested in learning more about halston but don't feel like watching an entire five episode series we might suggest the documentary of the same name halston it is an amazon original it takes a look at the designer's life and creative career focusing less on the sex and the drugs and the infamy of studio 54 in that particular era and more on the business and creativity and the empire that halston was able to build and explaining a little bit what went on behind the scenes when Halston became more of a corporation and the man himself lost the rights to his own name. It's a really interesting look at the rise and eventual downfall of a man who made such a huge impact, not only creatively, but how the business world treats fashion and markets brands based on a personality. Just watch both because they're really good companions to each other. Seeing more of the business side that the documentary offers was really fascinating after having watched the Netflix side where everything was all blended together to get that deep dive on the more business side was quite fascinating. Halston, the series, is available to watch on Netflix right now. And Halston, the documentary, you can watch on Amazon Prime. Another documentary series that was released during June, just in time for Pride, was the simply and aptly named Pride. Now, this series, which aired on FX... I felt was a really great companion piece to another docuseries that was released last year, Equal, on HBO Max. Pride, the series, takes a look at gay culture and the gay rights movement as it existed in the post-war years, leading all the way up to the present day. And each episode in the series tackles a specific decade. And what makes this particular series so unique and interesting is that each episode is handled by a different director. And while they give us, you know, contextually an idea of what was going on in the gay rights movement in that specific era, it also drills down deep to really specific and unique stories of the people who were there. Stories that I had never heard before and really opened my eyes to what was going on in the 50s and the 60s leading up to the Stonewall Riots. And while each episode in its own way is really special and very unique, I was particularly drawn to the 1970s, which explored the work of a groundbreaking lesbian filmmaker and how intersectional feminism would not only lead to strides being made in the women's rights movement, but also the gay rights movement that would be so important leading into the 1980s. The episode that focused on the 1980s was fascinating as well. Not only being able to hear stories from Anne Northrop and learning about details of the ACT UP movement, but also sort of the simpler and quieter stories of individuals who were living at the time, particularly a documentary filmmaker who picked up his video camera and recorded everyday life of people living in the village in New York City 
during such a difficult time in the middle of the AIDS pandemic. And he recorded the lives of these singers and actors and drag queens and everyday Dinsians of this unique section of New York City that as you watch him go about his everyday life, that part of New York just doesn't exist anymore. It's all been gentrified. It's all gone. The entire series is just jam-packed with really important personal stories that I am very glad that have finally been told. I really like how this series in particular, and Equal did this as well, picked things out of the past that are lesser known for the most part. I mean, they obviously hit some of the big stuff with Stonewall and Marriage Equality when we got up to the 2000s and stuff, but there's really like that documentary filmmaker who just picked up his camera, walked around the village taking video. I'd never heard that story before. Mm -mm, Um, And something I've realized this year too, in particular and this started when we rewatched Pose leading into season three. And then this documentary series kind of brought it home too. how oblivious I was to some things going on in the 90s that are so key to the way things are now. For example, one of the things I figured out with Pose is that I was the same age as the character of Damon in the series and just how radically different everything was between what I was living and what he was living, and even as I aged up, how insane things still were in New York while I was living out in California, it just it blew my mind. And this series did the same thing. Like, how do I not know about this piece of history? How do I not know about this thing that happened while I was alive and an adult and should be paying attention to these <laughs> things? So I'm really glad that these uh, stories have come to light and highly encourage everyone Uh, to give this a check out. You can catch the episodes of Pride. They're available on Hulu right now. Two other shows that we've enjoyed have made returns this summer. The first we want to talk about is Special. It returned for its second and final season on Netflix. It focuses on Ryan and the unique challenges he faces as a gay guy with cerebral palsy, trying to live life on his own and learning to balance career and a love life. We really enjoyed season one. Special came back exceptionally strong for season two. As we got eight half-hour episodes, the longer running time gave us more of an opportunity to not only explore what's going on with the character of Ryan, but some of his friends and family. In season two, we continued to follow Ryan and his misadventures and love, but how he also searches for a sense of community with other disabled people. We also look a little closer at his best friend, Kim, and what her family life is like as she tries to balance a career and love. And also Ryan's mom, Karen, played by the brilliant Jessica Hecht. In season two, we get a closer look at what life is like for her, a woman who spent most of her life being a caregiver in some capacity, and how she faces challenges moving on in the next phase of her life, where she's trying to focus on herself. And messing it up because (laughs) there is no roadmap for these big life changes. I really love Special, the series itself, in the various ways that it explores the stories of these particular characters. They're all wonderful and interesting and messy. While I'm sad to see this show go after series two, I think it really ended on a high note. I agree with that. I'm sad that it's done, but I'm glad they went out on their own terms and told the story they wanted to tell. And I do really like how the story opened up this season, too, where season one was really pretty laser focused on Ryan moving out and striking out on his own. Here, things opened up for everybody a little bit more. It was just a wonderful series. If you haven't checked that out, you can find both seasons on Netflix. And really quickly, we want to mention that we have been really enjoying the return of High School Musical, the musical, the series on Disney+. Miss Jen and the Drama Club gang have returned from their holiday break and have decided that for the spring musical, they're going to be doing Beauty and the Beast. So the show is focusing on that, as well as the various stories of our diverse cast of teen characters. I really like this show just because it's sweet and it's funny. It's filled with great songs and it continues to tell really great stories as we continue to learn more about each of these characters. I'm really enjoying this season and the the drama behind the drama club. They're competing for a prestigious award and they're competing against their crosstown rivals who happen to be led by Dancing with the Stars pro Derek Huff. He is a riot in this role as the competing drama teacher. I also really love how this series continues to handle the gay couple between Carlos and Sebastian. There's a super cute episode where they're throwing Carlos a quinceanero and it's just the sweetest thing. Everybody coming together to throw the party 
and the song that Seb sings to Carlos, it's also cute, and I just love it to pieces. A season two of High School Musical, the musical, the series, say that five times really fast, uh, is streaming right now on Disney+, and new episodes drop on Fridays. And one last thing that we've watched, and so happy we got to see it, is the 2011 production of Tales of the City, the musical. Yes, one of our favorite stories ever became a musical in 2011 with music from the Scissor Sisters, Jake Shears. We never got to see this. It premiered in San Francisco at the American Conservatory Theater. ACT put it out for streaming for a week to celebrate Pride alongside the show's 10th anniversary. I am so happy we saw this. It is so good to see how this show was adapted into a musical and how they brought to life the citizens of 28 Barbary Lane and the Denzings of 1976 San Francisco. I just loved it so, so much. I think maybe they crammed too much story in it because when you consider the miniseries is six hours long and they managed to put all of this into a two and a half hour musical, but still the, the music and the performances and seeing these characters from Anna to Mary Ann to Michael, all of them coming to life through a musical was really special. Hopefully one day this musical will have another life, whether it's a New York production or if it becomes a touring show or something. But it was really nice to see this little nugget of musical theater and get to enjoy it from the comfort of our own home. All right, so that takes a look at everything that we've been watching. Let's take a look forward now into some of the books that are coming out in July. Yeah, you're going to want to pack your favorite book bag and grab some sunscreen because we've got enough MM Romance recommendations to keep you turning the pages literally all summer long. I think these reads are perfect for a day at the beach or maybe lounging by the pool or if you're like me, enjoying in the cool air conditioned mm-hmm. comfort of home. Absolutely. That's, that's where, where I'll be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So let's talk about Out of Character by Annabeth Albert. This is going to be releasing on July 6th. Is it true what they say about how opposites attract? Jasper and Milo are former best friends. It's a classic jock-nerd romantic pairing. And they're going to get their second chance as love as they game and cosplay their way toward a happily ever after. I am so super excited about this book. You may have heard during my chat with Kurt Graves back in episode 315 that I'd lost track of the fact that this book was coming out. And ever since we talked about it there, I've been so super excited. I loved Conventionally Yours so much, so I can't wait to get to this sequel and find out what Jasper and Milo are going to get up to. And even better, the book's once again read by Kurt and Joel Leslie, so bring it on. Baseball bros are going to find Major League Love in Scoring With Him, the new story from bestselling author Lauren Blakely. Declan and Grant's epic love story begins here, and it's actually going to continue in the second part of the Men of Summer duology. Winning Him is going to be releasing on August 6th. Scoring for him, which looks really, really good, is going to be releasing on July 9th. So it's not hockey, but I'm really down for any sports book that puts athletes in the same sport together, and even more so when they're on the same team. And here, the fact that it's a rookie alongside a more veteran player, that ticks some boxes for me. So yeah, bring this on. Accidental Lover, the new series title from Jocelyn Drake, will also be releasing on July 9th. This is a story of love on the run for sexy assassin Alexei. With the Russians and CIA on his tail, he still can't help but fall for the man he's supposed to take out in this action-packed continuation of the Exit Strategy series. Don't you imagine it is like number one in the assassin rulebook not to fall for the person you're supposed to kill? (laughs) I mean, seriously. But this sounds so good. I have not read any of Jocelyn's books, and so I might need to take a plunge, not just on this one, but the entire series. Yeah, if fast-paced romantic suspense is your thing. And it is. And you haven't given (laughs) Jocelyn Drake a try, you really should. See, now Will's told me to do it, so I'm going to have to do it. She's a definite fan favorite. Yeah, definitely. So next up, let's talk about Summer Kisses by Charlie Novak. The rising kitchen temperatures aren't the only thing heating up for these two chefs with major egos who must get over their past issues and learn to work together. I think it's the age-old question, can former lovers turn enemies become lovers once again? Of course they can. (laughs) This ticks so many boxes. I mean, you've got chefs, which means there's going to be food. You do have that former lovers who are now enemies and going back to lovers. And I have to say, I like the quirkiness of the blurb for this book, too. If you haven't seen it, check it out at your favorite book retailer. 
It says so much about each of these characters through lists. It's everything you need to know in just a very few words. Summer Kisses is coming out on July 15th. The very next day on July 16th, Mia Monroe is going to be releasing her newest, Chasing Fate. While hunting for his Mr. Right, a guy connects with Diego, a friend from his past. When their friends with benefits arrangement starts getting serious, it begs the question, has his perfect match been right in front of him all along? This sounds really interesting, as you've got this character who is so very caught up in what he thinks his destiny is supposed to be, that he might miss Diego, who's just sitting right there going, pick me, pick me, pick me. It should be really interesting to see how Mia brings these two guys together. Rules of Play by Lane Hayes will also be coming out on July 16th. When a grad school scientist and a mechanic who dreams of becoming a baseball analyst fall for one another, it's a match made in romance trope heaven. Let's see, there's opposites attract, classic jock nerd dynamics, bisexual awakening, best friend's brother. All of this is part of the second book in Lane Hayes' Script Club series. Yes, this does sound like trope heaven. You knocked off so many things there that I really like, (laughs) especially jocks and nerds, which I'm so into right now. And then the opposites attract. You've got this lumber sexual and then also somebody who just might wear a cape to a grocery store. How cute does all this sound? I mean, yeah, I'm there. Rules of Play by Lane Hayes is headed your way on July 16th. Now let's talk about The Fake Prince Jake by Jeffrey Knight, releasing on July 20th. Comedic hijinks take center stage in this outrageous rom-com where a beleaguered PR professional is tasked with locating an impossible-to-find royal. And to save the day, he'll have to fake a relationship with a friendly barista who was a dead ringer for the bad boy prince. The safety and future of England itself depends on the success of their wacky scheme. I love Jeff Knight books. And I love royal books. So the title and the author combo here means this has to get to the top of my TBR list. Then you've got that fake relationship and the princely impersonation and everything. And I'm sure this is all going to get combined with Jeff's ability to offer up great characters, not to mention steamy situations. This has summer reading heaven just written all over it. So from comedic fake princes, we head down home with The Ranch Hand and the Single Dad by Jackie North. That book is coming out on July 27th. Romance is definitely in the air as Jackie returns to her Farthingdale Ranch series. This is the story of a divorced single dad who finds himself drawn to a particularly appealing cowboy. It begs the question, can this conservative accountant win the heart of the out and proud young ranch hand? You know, I used to read cowboy books all the time, and now it's become a very underread genre for me (laughs) for some reason. This one, with Jackie having the cowboy setting and putting the single dad in here, and there's some age gap romance going on as well. It is high time for me to get back on the cowboy bandwagon. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. The Farthingdale Ranch series has been on my radar for a while. And I really need to get off my butt and take the plunge. Mm -hmm. Because each of these books sounds really wonderful. Right there with you. So to wrap things up with our look forward, we're going to talk about Summer Drifter by R.J. Scott. And that's releasing at the end of the month on July 29th. It's about a horse trainer named Levi, and he isn't looking for any attachment. When Quinn arrives at Lennox Ranch, he literally stumbles into Levi's arms. Quinn's nephew could be somewhere in Whisper Ridge, Wyoming. Can they find the answers he's looking for without falling in love in the process? Chances are no. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. But we're going to enjoy the journey anyway. (laughs) So full disclosure, I have to admit that I have not read any of RJ's books that are outside of her hockey series. Now, this one is just another reminder of what I just talked about, that I need to read more books with cowboys and ranch types. And this one, with the additional level of searching for the missing nephew, I'm imagining we'll have a good amount of investigating and maybe some suspense. So it's definitely another one for my TBR. And I've got a bonus one to throw into this list as well. Bonus. Bonus. Looking at young adult titles, Flashfire, which is the sequel to T.J. Klune's YA superhero novel, The Extraordinaries, comes out on July 13th. Now, I loved the superhero love story that we got in The Extraordinaries alongside of that good versus evil and who's on what side. And does that good and evil line actually move back and forth a little bit sometimes? Such a good book. And I really can't wait to see what happens as Nick and his friends face what is coming next to Nova City. Now, those are some of the stories that we're looking forward to. Hopefully, we've piqued your interests in some of the books that we've just featured. Now, I know that was a whole lot of titles, and if you weren't taking notes, do not worry. We have you covered. You can get the complete list of our recommendations at 
biggayfictionpodcast.com. Just check out the show notes page for episode 320. You'll find all the titles there. But the recommendation palooza isn't over yet. Jeff, tell us about what you've been reading recently. So since its release in 2019, I have been a huge fan of Casey McQuiston's Red, White, and Royal Blue. It captured my heart with its story of a British prince who finds his HEA with the son of the U.S. president. It also offered a wonderful alternative reality to the hellscape that the 2016 presidential election brought to the U.S. Casey's new novel, One Last Stop, is just as excellent as she once again offers up a great romance, terrific found family, and some fantastical elements that only amp up the enjoyment of this book. 23-year-old August has arrived in New York City very much a cynic. She spent much of her youth caught up in her mother's crusade to figure out what happened to her brother, August's uncle, who she also happens to be named for, who went missing in the 1970s. August wants to get on with life, go to college, and do what she thinks is the smart thing, which is to get through life alone. That proves impossible, however, when she takes an apartment in Brooklyn with three amazing people. Nico, a psychic and bartender, Myla, an artist, who also happens to be an engineer, and Wes, a tattoo artist who works nights. It's an instant found family that she doesn't know that she's going to come to love and rely on. She also gets a job at Pancake Billy's House of Pancakes, <laughs> just, I want to go visit that place right now. Don't you, though? And if you read the book, you're going to be like, why doesn't this place actually exist? <laughs> Continue. Keep going. <laughs> and of course, you could just know by the name of that place that there are still more interesting eccentrics to come into her life through there as well. It's Jane, though, who really captivates August. Jane, who she meets on the Q train. It seems like one of those New York moments where you see some of the same people every day on your commute. Except Jane is always on the train when August is, day or night, even middle of the night, uptown or downtown. As August pays more attention, she notices that Jane is always wearing the same thing, and her possession includes things like a Walkman. I really love how August goes between smitten, flirty, freaked out by her feelings for Jane, and curious about why Jane is always on the train, and sometimes all of the above are going on at the very same time. August's investigator instincts kick in, honed from all that time working with her mom, and she looks into why Jane is on the train, how she got there, and is there a way to get her off the train, and what happens if she does actually leave the train. It turns out that Jane is stuck on the train because of something that happened in the 70s. Not only is August falling for someone, but it's someone who shouldn't even really be here because she's stuck in time. Casey weaves an incredible story here. In some authors' hands, this would become a mess, dealing with the stuck-in-time elements and how August and her friends deal with it. But the way the entire situation is handled is completely realistic in a perfect, fantastical, magical way. It adds a great layer to the romance, as Jane and August can only go on dates on the train. And at the same time, there's the balance of the investigation that August is doing on where Jane came from and what happened and why she can't leave the train. And of course, if they free Jane from the train, well, what the heck happens then? August's roommates not only give her a wonderful tribe to hang with, they jump right in trying to figure out what's going on and what to do about it. They're exactly the kind of friends you want who don't question the oddity of it all, but jump in to help. And what a group, too. They even move a birthday party from their apartment to the train so that Jane can be part of it rather than just listening to it on the phone. And you see, it's a phone that August gave Jane so that they could actually text, and so Jane could actually hear some post-1970s music via radio stations that play, of course, online. Not only does August and her friends need to help Jane, but Pancake Billy's need saving too. In typical New York fashion, the building's up for sale, and that puts the diner in jeopardy unless Billy can raise the funds to buy the building. It's really incredible what friends can accomplish, it's also amazing how Casey tied so many elements together into a wonderful, satisfying read that has this amazing romance for August and Jane at the center of it. I love them so, so much. I love August's roommates. In fact, I'd love to see a book featuring Nico, Myla, and Wes and the extended group of friends that we meet here. With August's investigative skills, who knows what kind of book series could grow from here. I truly loved every single thing about the whimsical romance of One Last Stop. And I already can't wait to see what Casey McQuiston cooks up next. That certainly sounds like a unique take on urban fantasy tropes. 
The other thing it did too was make me miss New York. The whole idea of the Q train. Some books will do that. You know, quirky little things like Pancake Billy's. Because while mm-hmm. that place doesn't exist, we both know that places that are similarly quirky do exist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so this past June, I revisited the YA genre. Now, most of you listening to the show know this isn't really my thing. and hasn't been for kind of a long time. The last time I paid attention to YA was maybe 10 or 15 years ago when Twilight and Hunger Games was a thing. But this summer, with so many special and unique queer stories being told, I really had to dive back in. I read The Meet Cute Diary by Emery Lee. Of course, we had a chance to talk with the author in episode 314. If you haven't listened to that episode, please do so. That's a wonderful conversation. And as a quick recap, Meet Cute Diary is about young trans guy Noah and his adventures over one summer as he tries to save his blog from an online troll, as well as maintain his friendships and his search for the seemingly perfect boyfriend. Jeff read and reviewed Meet Cute Diary in episode 314. I highly recommend it as well. But I have to admit, this book really stressed me out. I could see how it could do that. (laughs) Noah is a typical 16-year-old, and he's constantly struggling with these new complex emotional situations that he finds himself in. And he makes some really messy mistakes because, you know, that's what 16-year-olds do. And I was really empathetic to what he was going through. But I also found that really stressful. You just want to take him and go, no, don't, don't do that. That thing is wrong. (laughs) Almost all of my reading is focused on contemporary romance. So I know what to expect from the emotional story beats of that kind of story. So diving into a YA book for the first time in a really long time, I was kind of thrown for a loop. It kind of engaged me on an emotional level in a new and unexpected way that I wasn't totally prepared for. Like I said, Noah's story stressed me out, but that doesn't mean it wasn't totally amazing. I really recommend Meet Cute Diary if you haven't given it a try yet. Another YA story that I also recommend, but also stressed me out in a very (laughs) similar way, was May the Best Man Win by Z.R. Eller. It's about two high school seniors, Jeremy and Lucas. They've known each other for a really long time, and in fact, they used to date. But Lucas has now transitioned, and he's going to be challenging Jeremy for the title of Homecoming King. The battle for this title is really the focus of the conflict in this particular story, which on the surface may seem very fluffy and silly, like it might be the plot point for an episode of Saved by the Bell. But the title of Homecoming King means something so specific and so important for each of these characters. Jeremy and Lucas both see the title as Homecoming King as sort of a step towards kind of a door opening to the people that they want to become. And as we learn over the course of the story and the difficult past they've both experienced, both together and individually, that the men that they're going to become are really, really important. So the battle over the Homecoming King title ends up in a brutal game of one-upsmanship. And the things they do and say to one another are kind of cruel and occasionally heartbreaking. But by the end of the story, they realize that they are stronger together than they are apart. Like I said, this is another YA title that really threw me for an emotional loop. There's a lot of stuff going on for these characters, and I really liked it. It was just really good. It's an amazing book. And I think there's a lot of available material here that would make a really great movie or a TV series. Are you listening, Netflix? I know. Producers (laughs) out there... Please check out May the Best Man Win by Z.R. Eller. It's really good, guys. Give this one a shot. I need to get that book read. We've talked about many times on the show that you and I don't tend to read the same books because then there just gets to be an overlap. But that one really intrigued me from the get-go. And now that you've given it your seal of approval, I really need to find the time to get that one done. Welcome back to the YA genre. I hope you keep checking that out (laughs) periodically. I don't know if my delicate sensibilities can handle it. It can get rough in it's there. It's a roller coaster ride, man. <laughs> because you look at the books we've had this year, like Meet Cute Diary, like this one, like Jay's Gay Agenda, yeah, that put all that messiness right out there on the page for you. And you know, as as our adult selves, we look at it and go, "Oh, don't do that. You that that's not going to end well." <laughs> but thankfully, these authors find the way to bring it back so that things are okay by the end of the book. <laughs> Happy endings had by all. So I'm going to take us down a completely different path now. And there's really nothing like diving into the middle of things. And that's what I did going for the ninth book in K. American's Sex and Mayhem series called Heart Ripper. 
This opposite attract scenario with a bit of an age gap lulled me in from the blurb. And I'm really glad I picked it up because I love the story of young David and bad boy biker Raja. It starts simply enough. It's at a baby shower happening at the home of a biker. Hunter's younger brother David is there, hanging back, very much out of place as the preppy guy amongst all the leather and goth. But he wanted to support his brother and his new nephew. Raja, who's a friend of Hunter, and the new president of a bike club that's teetering on the brink of falling apart, is also there. Raja's challenged to hook up with someone, and a bet is made that he can't hook up with David. No one knows that David is Hunter's brother, so it happens, and sure enough, Raja discreetly follows David to an upstairs bathroom, and David sucks him off. It's right on the edge of consent, but David very much wants this. He's into older, muscled bad boy Raja. He doesn't really want to be into Raja, but he is. Before the evening's over, though, Raja knows exactly who he's hooked up with, and he is not happy. Not only is Hunter a friend, but his girlfriend is the daughter of a larger club's president, so all kinds of things say that this is not a good thing that's happened. Good boy David can't believe what he allowed to take place, but he's also been pushing boundaries lately, like not telling his super conservative parents that he isn't going to college in the fall. He's also questioning a lot about his religious upbringing, and how it drove a wedge between his parents and his brother Hunter. And as David continues to, to think about the hookup he had, he actually did get Raja's number before they parted ways, and it isn't long before they are texting each other. Meanwhile, Raja can't get David out of his head, even though he's got far more pressing business trying to get his club back on its feet. Yes, there are some overall details that I'm missing here because I jumped into book nine, but it really doesn't matter because I get enough details to know what's going on who Raja's clubmates are, and the dynamics and aspects of the bad blood that there are because Raja was voted president over some of the other members. It's clear that Raja's got a ton on his plate, though, and it's not helped by the fact that he ends up with another bet regarding David. The authors here do such an amazing job of balancing what's in this book. We've got David navigating coming out, his extremely religious and homophobic parents. He's striking out on his own and getting a first job and there's also feelings of first lust, or, you know, that just might be first love, too, with Raja. And then there's Raja himself, who is a self-described man-whore, but finds himself with increasing feelings for David that he's trying to reconcile with the potential issues within the club organization. It's a lot for both of these characters to have to manage. But, oh man, is this romance so amazing. David's new to everything, but it doesn't exactly mean that he's a pushover, either. He pushes back against Raja when he wants something, but he's also willing to let Raja lead sometimes too. And you might not think that these two with being so opposite would be all into the talking, but they have some amazing conversations, which you know I'm a huge fan of. They learn about each other's backgrounds, their likes, their dislikes. No topic really seems off limits, even if it at times might be uncomfortable. The only thing they really have to stay away from is Raja not telling David too much about what's going on with the bike club. I hadn't anticipated this would be a relationship where they would truly be able to make each other better and balance out the fact that David's very much a newbie in so many ways, while Raja is older with a different set of baggage. But somehow it worked, where they each had something very specific and oftentimes helpful to add to the relationship. And there is some big drama in this book, too, that offsets some of that sweet talking that I mentioned. Big-time biker battles go on with infighting within Raja's crew, and not to mention a few issues with Hunter once he finds out what's going on between Raja and David. And there's a huge and really awesome showdown with David's terrible parents. And all of that, of course, just continues to grow the bond between David and Raja as they work their way towards an HEA. Now, believe it or not, this was my first K.A. American book, and I guarantee you it won't be the last. I really love how complex they made David and Raja, those two had a lot to unpack, and I loved their journey. Plus, the world of sex and mayhem was so vibrant that even though I dropped myself into the middle of it, I appreciated all the details of the world that the bikers and those who hang with them inhabit. I totally recommend Heart Ripper, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to be going backwards or forwards in this series soon that has currently 12 books in it. And if you're a K.A. American fan, you should make sure to check out episode 322, which is going to come your way on July 12th because we've got a great interview with Kat and Agnes, who are actually the duo who make up K.A. American. Definitely looking forward to getting a chance to talk to them. 
So another story that I recently read and very much enjoyed was Sunset Springs by Case and Calendar. And it's about Charlie, who, when things don't work out for him in New York City, he reluctantly returns home to Sunset Springs. Emphasis on reluctantly. Charlie is black, gay, and trans, and he doesn't think his small town has much to offer him, because it certainly didn't when he was growing up. His mom has been having some health issues lately, and the family bookstore is struggling, so Charlie spends most of his days reorganizing stock and helping customers. One day, Jack strolls in. He is the former high school football golden boy, and he also happens to be the only other out gay guy in town. They strike up a friendship, and when Charlie takes a horseback riding lesson at Jack's family ranch, their attraction turns into a friends with benefits situation, which eventually leads to them dating, which isn't easy in a town as small as Sunset Springs. There are lots of judgmental stares, and Charlie can't understand why Jack ever chose to stay in town. Racist and homophobic microaggressions aside, There are good people there who support them too. Trisha, Jack's ex-girlfriend, proves to be an unexpected ally when Jack and Charlie attend the county fair together, and she defends them from a local bigot. A job offer and a potential return to New York City has Charlie re-examining his small-town life, the friends that he's made over the course of the summer, and the love that he's found. And he's rethinking everything that he thought he wanted. Now, small-town romances are my thing, so it should come as no surprise that I really enjoyed this novella, not only because it hit all the tropes I love, and it's a really terrific love story, but it also examined the unique complexities of Charlie and Jack's relationship. Their experiences concerning race and homophobia aren't the same, but they are intersectional, so they are able to support each other. And what I thought was especially nice is that Jack doesn't always get it perfect, He does recognize his white privilege, and he works to be a thoughtful and supportive partner that Charlie needs. These are pretty heavy topics, which I totally understand, but they're handled beautifully by Case and Calendar, who was behind recent YA bestsellers like Felix Ever After, and this is kind of an epic love story. If you enjoyed those, I hope you'll give this Audible original a try. Now, because it's an Audible original, at the moment it is only available in audiobook format. But here's the neat thing. If you are already an Audible subscriber, you can download this to your Audible library for free. There's no need to use a credit or anything. Just click and start listening. What I realized as I was putting my talking points together for this episode is that it has inadvertently become my summer of trans mask gay romances with stories like Meet Cute Diary and May the Best Man Wind and now Sunset Springs. I'm really enjoying the chance to explore these kinds of stories. And I'm really happy, like super duper happy, that more authors are exploring more diverse characters, including the trans mask experience. I love the sound of this story, that it puts the trans experience into a small town. Because you don't necessarily often think small town and a trans romance paired up together. So this book sounds really exceptional. You've given me another one now that I need to (laughs) slot into my reading sooner than later. And I want to take a moment as we wrap things up to talk about something that we don't read much on the show, and that's a memoir. But I think this one is so worth everyone's time. Punch Me Up to the Gods by Brian Broom has landed on several lists as a must-read for this summer or a best book of 2021 so far. The book chronicles Brian's childhood and early adult years. He tells about growing up in Ohio alongside his brother and sister and their parents. There's a father who has lost his way since losing his job at a local plant, and a mother who simply wants to make sure that her family has what it needs to survive. Eventually, Brian moves to Pittsburgh, hoping to escape, only to find out that the big city isn't all that friendly either. The stories Brian shares are a mix of tragic, heartbreaking, funny, and offer a view into what life is like for a young, black, queer boy who is finding his way towards manhood. Through the stories, Brian not only shares the expectations put on black boys by black parents and how it differs from what he saw with whites, both at his school and on TV. He also delves into what it means to be black and gay. Brian faced this early on in his household because his brother did all the things the boys were supposed to do, be tough, like sports, be into girls, whereas Brian was very much into books competing in the spelling bee, hanging out with girls as friends, and playing with his sister's dolls. Even as an adult, though, cultural expectations followed him. One of the stories that he tells is of a Frenchman that he met at a bar, 
And this guy was obsessed with the idea that Brian must play basketball and who were his favorite teams and what position did he play and things like that. Brian played along with this because the guy was nice. He was buying him drinks and that that might lead to more. The two dated for a while until the guy brought a basketball to Brian asking to see his moves and took him to a basketball court. Of course, Brian had no moves and the relationship immediately ended. Brian's early adult years were not easy as he looked for acceptance and often relied on drugs and alcohol in an attempt to find it. Brian's stories are interwoven with a bus trip where he encounters Tuan, a young black boy who's traveling with his father. Tuan triggers parts of Brian's own story for him to tell as the boy is told not to cry, be a man, and arranged to sit in a certain way, as in not with his legs crossed like a girl. This part of the story shows how little has changed in the way that fathers treat their boys since Brian's own childhood. At the end of the story, when Brian's in Paris, hoping to discover some of what James Baldwin found in the city, Brian writes a letter to Tuan, hoping that he's able to find a way to avoid the hardships that Brian endured. And the sad thing is, Brian admits that it probably isn't possible for the boy. I'm really glad I picked up to this book because it's a view into a life that is outside my own experience. It was all the more powerful because I listened to the audiobook, which Brian narrates. So he was telling his stories directly to me. And I think it's so important for us to listen and understand stories like this that are different from our own. And so I highly recommend you pick up Punch Me Up to the Gods because Brian has a very outstanding story to tell. And so there you have it. We've given you a ton of books to read that are out now. We've told you what's coming in July that we're excited about. And you have a whole bunch of TV to watch. So for at least the month of July, you should not be bored. A special thank you to our community on Patreon. Their patronage has made this episode's transcript possible. If you'd like to read our conversation and reviews for yourself, simply head on over to the show notes page for this episode at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. And as we mentioned earlier, the show notes page also has links to everything that we've talked about in this episode. And all of the audiobooks that are available through Libro.fm will also be highlighted there. Libro.fm is the place where when you buy an audiobook, you're also supporting a local bookstore of your choice. So it's a great place to get those audiobooks. Listeners to the Big Gay Fiction Podcast have the opportunity to get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of one. To find out about that offer and take advantage of it, simply go to biggayfictionpodcast.com slash librofm. That's L-I-B-R-O-F-M. Now, coming up on Monday in episode 321, author E.J. Russell is going to be joining us, and she's going to be talking to us about the interactive game that's just been released based on her story, Cutie and the Beast. Yes, it was great hearing about the game. Plus, we're also going to be talking about the books that she's released earlier this year and the big dive that she's taken on audiobooks. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, stay strong, be safe. And above all else, keep turning those pages and keep reading. Big Gay Fiction Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more shows you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Production assistance by Tyson Greenan. Original theme music by Daryl Banner. 